You ever looked at people's lives, looked at situations, and asked yourself, how did that get so messed up? How did they get there? Have you ever looked at people's lives almost with disdain because they act so much different than you, they're so opposite of you, if you were talking, having a conversation, you're almost like you just feel this welling up in you, like, okay, or you see a politician, or you watch a news organization, or, or, or. You go, how did they ever get to thinking that way? They are so messed up. Aren't you glad the Christmas story is about, and that's the time of year we're in, and today we're going to talk about love. Aren't you glad we're in a time in a window celebrating Christmas where everything's just clean, everything's just about love, everything is just, there's nothing messed up about this, right? There's nothing messed up about your life because we're celebrating Christmas. We get to block messed upness out for a while, and especially when we read the Christmas story, so clean, so sanitized, so smooth. It is easy to sanitize the Christmas story. It is easy to look at a baby born in a manger, sing some great songs, which we do, have this great feeling around the trees, around the tree and opening presents and with our family, which we will, and there's nothing against, I'm not pushing back on that. But I think it is important this time of year to also understand that Jesus came into this world, it wasn't as sanitized as we think. I mean, you think about the story and Christ's birth, you realize that the dynamics that he was born into were not the best, at least in the sense of what we would say from the outside looking in. Hindsight, yeah, we can look at it, but if you were looking at it in that moment going, okay, we've got a young lady who is engaged to be married, and now she's pregnant. And obviously, we can get into maybe it's kind of messy where he's born. Okay, that's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the dynamics of their family. But even if you step back from that and you begin to read Matthew chapter 1, and I won't do that here. I'll let you do that on your own. And you read the lineage of, of Jesus and the lineage of King David, and you begin to see people like Tamar and Ruth. Rahab, Bathsheba, and now Mary. Now you can go look those up, <clears throat> but every one of those has a little bit of a scandal, if you will, or a little messiness around every one of those stories. But somehow or another, Jesus, if you said that about, a, if you said that about your life and you go, man, how did you even turn out Okay. But that's the dynamic. And so what's so easy for us to look back and we see, especially, and I've preached it many times over the Christmas seasons, the faithfulness of Mary, the faithfulness of Joseph, the faithfulness of Elizabeth. We read those and we hear those, but we again have the benefit of hindsight. What we don't have is being there during that time, realizing that they were extraordinary people because of what their faithfulness ended up happening and that they became extraordinary 
supernatural what God did in their life, but they were still human beings with human being problems and a messed up life. And I just want to talk a little bit today as we talk about looking at people's lives going, man, they're messed up. And one of the things that that as I read this this week and was preparing for this week and especially this morning just kept coming back, I almost let it go and I thought, well, no, I... Because it is, it is easy in the culture we're in today to quickly get a disdain for someone. So when we see their picture, we hear their voice, we see what propaganda maybe you believe it is and very well is, it is easy to get this thing to rise up within us and discount them when reality is that what I wish would come across my mind is Christ died for them too. What if my first thought when I look at that and that rises up in me, the first thing that comes to me and stays with me is Christ died for them too. Not Christ died for them too. I'm not quite sure about that. I know he died for me and I'm so thankful for that. But Christ died for them, too. So as we kind of dive off into this short verse today, short two verses, for a minute to kind of take out of our minds that the whole world would be a lot better off if they thought like I did. And just for a little bit, think, you know, there are people who think different. And Christ died for them too. There are people who live different. Christ died for them too. And what maybe just maybe a little bit today is also go back for in our lives before we accepted Christ. I know some of you did it as a child, so it may not seem like there was a, a long testimony you have there to that. I get that. Heard a guy say one time he went off to college to get a testimony, okay? So that's not what I'm talking about. Don't go off somewhere just to get a testimony. You have a testimony a faithfulness of, of a being obedient and following after Christ as a young age. That's not what I'm saying. But many of us, those adults, know, or even as a young person, we know what it was like before. We know what it was like before. I'm just so glad God parachutes in, Christ parachutes into our life when we're a mess. But in John chapter 13... Jesus is saying, if you want to turn there, if you want to pull up your, your, your electronic device, whatever you use, but it's two short verses. There's a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one to another. Now, I've preached on that, talking about the final apologetic, that the, the one thing the, the world wants to see is, do we love one another? But that's really not where I'm going to camp. I camped another time on that. But today, I want to camp on this, just this little spot, this, these few words, I mean. Because Jesus does not say here, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you work miracles, if you speak in other languages, or you have nice buildings or great music. And by him saying that you love one another, the word love there is, is, 
in itself is not new. He said, but I'm going to give you a new commandment. But the, the, the Israelites or the people hearing this know that from Leviticus, they know that to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, that's not new. They've heard that before. But what is new about this, what Jesus is saying, is love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That means in our mess, that means with all the dings and the scars and the junk. And I was, as I was looking at the devotional, I was cheating a little bit, so I'm going to, it's a spoiler alert, okay, if you're doing your devotionals, okay, just so you know, I've been reading ahead, because I know I'll be preaching today, and, and so I'm trying to get ahead. And one of my favorite stories that I have preached on here a few times, and I won't preach the whole sermon, it's just going to be a snippet. But it's out of the, it is the book of Hosea. And I think it's two days from now is our devotional on that. And one of those, and, you, and if you want to, I'm not going to read out of there because it's 14 chapters. It's two-thirds of the way through the Bible, right after Daniel. If you want to look it up, it would be a great story to read around Christmas, I think. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you want to read it for your Christmas reading. I'm not sure about that. But, but it's a phenomenal story that I think has to do with Christmas, though. Hosea's name, it means salvation. And he is a prophet of God. And he's been asked to do something. And, and obviously, the whole book links back to his personal, probably as much as any prophet. His, the book of Hosea really connects back to his personal life and really is a, is a, it's, it's a, hard, it's a hard journey if you don't know the book. And his children are named, some, some names that you're going, wow, okay, that would be a bummer to be named that as a kid. And so you can go look all that up. But his wife, Gomer, is extremely unfaithful. And God uses Hosea's life to send messages through his children, through his, through his unfaithfulness of his wife, to send messages to, to, to the Israelites, to make an example, to help them understand his love for them, ultimately. But he gets this, again, he gets this bizarre assignment from God, Hosea, as a prophet, to marry a prostitute. And I don't know. If you're trying to be a man of God, I would say he was a holiness preacher. That sounds kind of arrogant. I know it does. But no doubt he's trying to live the best he can for God. And then God gives him this crazy, out of nowhere assignment. So what we end up seeing in that book is this, is this cycle of repentance, redemption, reconciliation, or kind of restoration. And it happens all over. And then Gomer, his wife, abandons them again. And then God comes back and goes, go find her. And if you're reading Hosea, you know this got to be in his mind going, okay, she chose to leave. She's gone. Why would I go? I mean, okay, I don't understand. Why would I go find someone who doesn't want to be here? She chose to leave. She consciously made the decision to not be here with us and the kids. She's gone. I've had to move on, God. Go find her. And I've read this so many times, and many of you have too. It, it still amazes me as I read it, and I've done some deep dives into it. 
I can't imagine being given this assignment. You're trying to be faithful, and you're trying to woo someone that doesn't want to be there. What does he have to do? He has to end up going to places that he would never go to find the one he's been called to go find. The bars and the brothels, I'm sure. The places that even some would say, hey, what are you doing here? I thought you were a man of God. What are you coming here for? Are you looking for what I think you're looking for? but he risked his reputation to go find the one that God said, go find her. I know you'll have to go to places and you'll have to go and you have to expose yourself and your reputation may be in question where you have to go, but I need you to go find her. And he does find her, right? I mean, if you know the book, you know he finds her. Where does he find her? On the auction block. For sale. I'm sure he probably shouts out, that's my wife. And the auctioneer yells back, I know, but you've got to pay the price. But they're already mine. But you have to go to the cross. Go find them. They don't even want to be here. Go woo them. They don't even want to come. Well, I found them, but they're in bondage. They're on the auction. They're slaves. He buys her. He paid the price. What a mess. What a mess. There's so much about Scripture, and you've heard me say this before, and I'm sure you've heard other pastors. If I was trying to get people to join my club, my group, my crew, whatever you want to call it, I wouldn't put all these bad stories in here. (laughs) It's just not what I would do. especially when you see the knucklehead stuff in the New Testament and all the things that go on. But when we take this kind of scripture and apply it to our own lives, two things I want us to remember. First off, we're Gomer in this story. We're not Hosea. Secondly, where did Christ have to go to to search for you? Where did you take him that he shouldn't have to go? But he came searching. Aren't you glad he didn't wait till we were sanitized and cleaned up and everything? You get that right. You, You get that right, then I'll come. 
You get this cleaned up, then I'll, I'll be open to receiving you as my child. How many of you are on the auction block? How many of you are in slavery? You go, that's my child. I don't care. You still got to pay the price. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Christ is willing to parachute into the messy, often in bondage situations. It's one of the things I think at this Christmas time, it isn't easy to make this sanitized, but what I love about Christmas is a reminder. Easter, it's easy, right? It's easy to remind us of what Christ came for. But, but, but a lot of, as they say, other than a lot of men and women born, but only one has died for all. So, so it's easy to separate Easter from Christmas and sanitize it and all feel good and let's go for it. And it is fun and I have fun with my grandkids and my kids. I want it to be that, but we cannot forget the one what he was born into may look a lot like your life. And what he was born for is like no other. The two things that when I think about it, Christmas is one, and when I read Hosea, I cannot imagine what he was having to do and the, and the heartache and all the things that he went through. But then I jump even further than that. Then I read John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Can you imagine if you have children to send one of your child to die for somebody else? Your one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. But God did not send his son in the world to condemn it to what? But to save it. And it's so easy with all that's going on in the world around us. It's so easy to look at the dynamics of, hey, I, I, I disagree with you. And it's easier for me to put up this wall and have an opinion about you than to constantly saying, Christ died for you too. And I hope it softens me and how I pray for you. And how I long to see you know him. I think it would change a lot of our, our stances on things. I'm not saying compromising your values. Oh, that is, yeah, I ain't coming close to saying that. <sighs> but it would allow us to breathe differently. To go, I don't have disdain for you because Christ died for you too. And I think one of the biggest things this time of year is just a reminder. I, 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 was, I was the benefactor of, I think, of, of, uh, of two awesome parents. You know, and sometimes you look at people's lives, and I say that, and you'll hear 
me say that, and if those who know me have heard me say that often, and I mean it wholeheartedly. And you may even say, well, of course your life is doing better on this thing because you had that advantage. And I'm not going to argue with you that that's the case, but what you do leave out in the middle of all that was, when I was a senior in high school, my parents were separated, about to get a divorce. Had an older sister addicted to all kinds of different things. I had, before in the next three to four years, my whole family just blows up, if you will, from divorce and addiction. And for me, going 10 years, really, with alcohol specifically, but a lot of other things that I don't even want to ever even have to think about. And if you'd, have took, if you'd have taken a picture of my family in 1978, the month before I graduated high school, you're going, those folks are in trouble. Because we were. But over the next decade, at that time, I mean, there was, I mean, I don't even want to go to all the list of things that were going on in our family. We were a mess. But the phenomenal thing happened. My mom and dad made a decision to commit themselves to the Lord and commit, them, to commit themselves to each other. At that time, my mom and dad had been married 32 years. Six kids, multiple grandkids. They were married another 32 years. They ended up being 64 years. The last 32 were unbelievable. Because they got to watch all their kids come to know the Lord. There's almost 70 of us before it was all said and done in my immediate family. And I believe almost all of them follow the Lord now. Where if you'd have looked in that window, in that picture at that time, it'd have gone there. They're in trouble. Except him. And one of the things I will say about that whole time, and I look back on it now, even though I didn't become a believer until seven years later, one of the things I look back on that time is that one of the ways I looked at God, I never looked at God as a God who was distant. I never looked at, I, I, for some reason in my mind, I always trusted God even though I wasn't a Christian. Anybody ever been there? And I know it's kind of a weird thing to say that I, I believe in a God, and I believe he's a good God. I, he's a God I can trust. I just don't want to be with you right now. I don't want to follow you right now. I did that for 10 years. But how we see God and how we look at God, I believe, has a huge bearing on how we move forward on this whole concept of love at this time of year and how we look at others. James Bryan Smith has this statement that I have wrestled with for a long time and I worked through it because I had many of you know I have this statement that you know the sin had a job description its job description is separation separation from God separation from others and separation from your divine calling your anointed calling sin separates us from that but I read this one time from James Bryan Smith and when it comes back to what we're talking about today And I've had to wrestle with it a little bit. And it says there's only one thing that separates us from God. And it's not our sin. It has to do a little bit with Dr. Dan's message last week. It is our self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness does not turn God from us, but us 
from God. It's not my sin that moves me away from God. It is my refusal of grace, both for myself and for others. And this Christmas season, just being reminded over and over, not only did Christ die for me, because I catch myself. I watch way too much or pay too much attention to the news. I have over the last many years. Of something rising up within me that I know is not of the Lord when I look at others in certain situations. Christ died for them too. And one of the things that I look back over the years just so thankful for is that all those years I ran from him, all those years I was so messed up, so messed up. He never stopped loving me. Stepper never stopped chasing after me. God's goodness, as we've already sang here, never, he kept coming after me. And I love one of my favorite passages of scripture is, is those who know me is obviously John 10, 10, but, but the other one is 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16. I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown love, mercy, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example. I believe God has known from the beginning that we were prone to wonder. (laughs) I think we sing songs about that way. He loves us in spite of it. He knows, he knows that our our hearts were still in this world, that sin abounds. And it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to be pulled away. But I am so thankful that even in what messes I cause it or messes that I'm parachuted into that I don't want to be a part of, that his love abounds there. You know, some of you today, you walk, in, walk out week after week, or you may be here for the first time. You walked close to the Lord at one time. Something happened. You've allowed things to become between you and Him. And here you are this Christmas season going, okay, how, how did I get this far away? How do I no longer hear him? Well, I truly believe he's still coming after you. Because it's easy for days to become weeks and weeks to become months 
where that desire is not there and you, again, don't feel that you feel his presence. And I just want to encourage you as we go through this next week or so that he knows where you are. He loves you. He's for you. If there's some way that could you just open yourself up to the to real reason for this season. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing goodness of God as we start winding down here this morning. A few things that I just was thinking of. You know, one of the... Uh, Opportunities we have, even like yesterday, and i just so thankful for a church, as Brandon's already said, that does, is willing to go. The places that, and step into, and we've got some leaders here who are willing to step deep into the mess for people's lives. And you see these miracles when God begins to do these unbelievable things in people's lives. Brandon I appreciate, you know, don't have it up here, but seeing a picture of uh, just reconciliation and restoration of his family. It's just phenomenal to see what God can do when you, when those in it allow it. He's not going to force it. Just want to let you know that he's not going to force it on you, but he is going to woo you. He's going to cry. And it may just take one person in that group. You know, my family growing up, I don't know. I knew I was always loved, but we just never used the word. Anybody ever been in a family? Anybody ever been in a family like it? Just didn't say it. You just knew you were. And we didn't really hug a lot. This wasn't what we did. And I came to know the Lord in 1985. Or 1986, and I never, I was a handshaker because I was raised in the car business. So you better know how to shake hands, right? Firm, look them in the eye. I became a hugger. Just like that. And what I watched happened in my family. My dad never was a hugger. He, he was the oldest boy of 12 kids. And he was a man's man, country strong, kind of, and my dad, as many of you know the story, dealt with PTSD from World War II, and so it was just a part of it. But when we started coming to know the Lord as a family, my dad's dedication to the Lord even increased. But one of the things he became was a hugger. And I'm just wanting to, I'm saying that to you because hugging in itself doesn't mean somebody loves more or doesn't. But when you allow Christ to begin to permeate your life, it is amazing what can happen to just not only the tangible, but the, the, but the real things. And I, I like I said yesterday, walking into homes, just the love of Christ, carrying that in, is just an awesome opportunity we have. And so I'm going to have you stand with me. We're going to close. And I know we've already opened up the altars this morning, but... 
You may be here today and it's been a while. And you've, it's been a while since you've heard from the Lord. It's because your busyness. And I just want to close this service out with an opportunity to come and pray. And I'll come back up and pray for us as we leave. But just thankful that God sent his one and only son into a mess that if he can deal with those dynamics of a mess he can deal with my mess and looking around this room today I know there's been a lot of messes that he has brought hope to but we come before you today and Lord as we just sing and close this morning some will sing for as a testament of what you've done in their lives. Some will sing for a hope of understanding the goodness of who you are. Lord, I pray as we take these few minutes here that your spirit will move where it needs to move, prompt who it needs to prompt, and they'll respond with obedience. It only comes from hearing from your voice. Lord, thank you for your word that you have called us to love as you have loved. And use that with the advancement of the kingdom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.